you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Acts. We'll continue after a week out of our series. We'll continue our series through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11 is what we'll be finishing today. If you are a guest with us, let me add my welcome to you. We're so glad that you are here today. Trust that you've been blessed already as you watch me try to handle this microphone. Actually, that's not where the blessing comes. But I know it has been a blessing, even as Aaron alluded to. I've already been blessed being here. So we, we hope that um, everyone experiences that as well through knowing the love of Christ and his care for us. And so if you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. If you're not a guest with us, we also hope that you are blessed. And we are so glad that you have gathered again with God's people today. So Acts 11 is where we'll be. Uh, it'll be verses 19 through 30, so that'll be the reading, and John Wiley is going to come and read the scripture for us this morning. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, as we do almost every week, that you have spoken to us through your word and that you have spoken to us through your son. And we ask that you would now speak to us through it as we consider it together. To think of your church in those early days and think of our church in these days. And we ask that you would be at work in us, that you would use your word by your spirit Help us trust in Christ alone and to live as his people all our days. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about this text, I'm trying to not knock anything over here. Great. Get it out of the way. All right. So now we're done thinking about that. Think about this text and particularly the 
the moment where we're told they were called, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Think about what are we known for? We're Christians, right? What do we want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? How would people outside of this church describe us individually? Describe you, describe me. How would people outside of this church describe us as a group? And you might even say, well, what does it even mean to take the name Christian today? Right? It's kind of lost all its meaning, and let's not even use that anymore so we don't have to identify with all of those people who are different from us that also take that name. Right? What does it mean to be called a Christian? Is it just a, one of the boxes that you check? Right? It's like, okay, if I'm, if I'm one of these, it's like, yeah, that one's close enough. Right? I've been to church a few times, or even I go to church regularly. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? It might mean, well, I'm, I'm not an atheist. I believe there's a God, and I'm not Hindu or Muslim or anything else. So I, that's the one. I'm American, and so I'm a Christian. And so it's hard to trust numbers, you know, when there are surveys given. Uh, and we find that out, especially when questions are asked, uh, like basic theology questions. What do Christians believe after you say you're a Christian? And a whole bunch of people get pretty much all the answers wrong. It's like, what does that mean? But for us, Christian doesn't have to be a bad word. It's not meant to be a bad word here. What does it mean to you to be called a Christian? And what does it mean to live up to that title? What does it mean to live up to being a Christian? Well, the way it's used here, it wasn't a title yet. It wasn't like, oh yeah, we recognize them, we've heard about those Christians, and these, these must be those, right? It wasn't that. This is the pagans in Antioch, a pagan city, so pagans in a pagan city, seeing what's happening that we'll go through as we walk through the text in a minute, and going, mm, these are those Christ people. I was going to use Jesus people, but that's already been taken. <laughs> Ralph and Pat, can I especially identify with that? The big idea this morning is this. By God's grace, may we be true Christ people. And I'm not really talking about like whether you are in Christ or not. It's not like, okay, oh, if, if I don't live up to this, then I must not be a Christian at all. There's a way in which we all fail to live up to our profession every week, as has already been referenced, and why we continually need God's grace for us and his mercy on us. But by God's grace, may we be true Christ people. That's what it would have been meant. There are, there are these Messiah guys. They're the people who that, that Jesus guy who died and I'm there saying he's raised. I don't know if I buy that, but they're Jesus people, even Jesus freaks. And they probably meant something like that in calling them Christians. We don't know for sure that it was said as a pejorative, but we know at least it was said as a descriptor. Like, here's what these people are. We got to call them something. We're going to call them that. 
in a way, that should be an honor. And it should be something that we long to live up to. And it leads us to think, like, how should we think and speak and act and relate to other people and suffer as a Christian? And the word Christian has become so watered down that it's like, well, no, I'm not as a Christian, like as as someone who's godly or as a true disciple. Sure, use whatever other words you want, but the basic idea is how do I do this as a Christian? Not just as someone who claims the name of Christ, but someone who lives under the lordship of Christ. Someone who lives as one who belongs to Christ, that I belong to him both body and soul, in life and in death, now and forever, because he has given his life for me, and now I want to live as one of his people. If that's our frame of reference, it'll change how we think and what we think about. It'll change how we speak and what we say. It'll change what we do. It'll change how we relate to other people, even how we view them, how we treat them. It'll change how we suffer. That's one of the very few specific references to the word Christian in the New Testament. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 4, he says, if any of you suffers as a Christian, it means if you're suffering because of your belonging to Christ, because of your living as one of his people. And that's where he's telling them, don't suffer because you're evildoers. If you suffer because you're a jerk, don't, like, First Peter's not actually for, for us then. First Peter says it's for those who are suffering as a Christian. Don't suffer for doing evil, but for doing good. And that's one of the only two other places outside of this text where the word Christian appears in your Bible. Is that surprising? For as much as it's become like the name for the people who belong to Christ, it's only in the Bible three times. Here in Acts 11, where it's like, what name do we put on these guys? Ah, Christian. Later on, we'll see it in Acts 26 when Paul's on trial and Agrippa's like, ah, is it... You, you're going to try to get me to be a Christian already in such a short time? And then in 1 Peter 4, when Peter talks about suffering as a Christian. It took a while for it to catch on. That wasn't the name that the New Testament believers used for themselves. Even in Acts, we've seen lots of descriptors already, right? We've seen things like followers of the way, believers, brothers and sisters, disciples, And even here in the text, it said this is where the disciples were first called Christians. So those aren't different categories. It's not like, okay, you're a Christian. Well, now you're a disciple. You've reached a new stage. Um, now, Now you're in this different category. These are words that all mean the same thing for those who belong to Jesus, those who are saved by his grace through the power of his blood, those who live as his people. And so that's what was happening in this church, and that's, by God's grace, what we want to happen for us. What does it mean to bring into every area of my life the fact that I belong to Christ, who is my Savior and Lord? It means that we would want to be known and to be known as Christians first. 
And that's tricky today because there are all sorts of identity markers that we can take on. And there's some we can't get out of, right? I'm of Scottish descent and nothing is going to change that. Now that doesn't have to determine what I'm like, right? And so I'm going after you Germans and Italians here especially or Irish or everyone. Don't Everyone uses that. Do you notice that? And I've said that before. It's like... I'm talking with somebody and it's like, oh yeah, you know how, I'm German. It's like, right? Or whatever. It's like we just use this like it's an excuse for our anger. But you can't change whether you're Italian or German or Puerto Rican or whatever. And for most of us, we wouldn't even want to change that, right? It's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I like that. I like who I am and where I'm from. And we can enjoy that as a good gift from God. And it's not that we have to hide it or put it away. And you say, well, I, I can't hide it anyway. It's on my skin and my, my face. And it's like, I can't hide that, right? It's like, yeah, and that's not something to hide. But it's not something to hold up as the most important thing about us either. Especially here. Because we are in Christ. That's what draws us together. And we can tend to identify ourselves as Eric mentioned near the beginning, by political affiliation. We can say, well, I'm like this. Every other Christian who thinks logically, because of course I do, will come to all the same political conclusions that I do. I know none of you would ever think that way. That was just a caricature that I made up right there on the spot. And we can tend to think, well, if they don't agree with me on this, then they don't agree with God. And they're probably not even really a Christian at all. How can someone be a Christian and think that? Now, there are some very clear, like the Bible says this. And so I'm not saying if you hold particular political positions, right, that's like you can't say, well, this is, this is what the Bible says, right? So we don't want to take that away. But if we're identifying with a party, we're saying this is the party that does everything right and the other one is evil, you've really missed it. We've forgotten who we are in Christ in those moments. And by God's grace, we want to be a church where we are known for being Christians first. Now, you can still be a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or a Libertarian or or whatever, and you can be excited about that, and you can even advocate for that. I'm not saying every, everything you care about just goes away. Okay, so please don't, please don't hear that. What we're saying is that being a Christian, that's first, and it's not a competition. That's what we want to be known for. That's how these people were known. So how do we do things as a Christian? What does it look like to be Christians first? So let's look first at these first Christians in Antioch. And let's step back and kind of see what Luke is doing in telling us this story. Luke is not just like, oh yeah, what happened next? Oh yeah, the gospel went to Antioch, right? It's not, well, this happened, then that happened. This is a story that's well told, that's crafted to show the expansion of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so in the first verse of our text for today, 
Luke reaches back to the persecution that we remember from the beginning of Acts 8. You remember after Stephen and his sermon, and then he's stoned to death, and they lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul who was approving of his execution, and following that, there's a great persecution of the church, and everyone, it says, except the apostles, are scattered from Jerusalem. And in Acts 8, we see them going about, and everywhere they go, they went about preaching the word. And the same thing is referenced here. So he's reaching back. He's actually kind of picking up the story from Acts 8, but he's told us some important things in between. Because it would be really confusing if you went straight from they laid all the garments at the feet of a young man named Saul and he was the one who approved of his execution and when the church is being established, Barnabas is like, I need to go find Saul, right? They wouldn't have been doing that unless you had Acts 9 (laughs) and knowing that Saul, who was wanting to persecute the church, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and is dramatically converted. He has changed. He has turned around and now he's walking a different path way. So he's told us about the gospel going out to Samaria in Acts 8. He's told us about the conversion of Saul. Then in Acts 10 in the first part of 11 that we saw over three weeks in these last few weeks together, he shows us the gospel going to the first Gentiles through the ministry of Peter with the story of Cornelius and his household in Caesarea. And now in today we have the story of the gospel going to Antioch. And this is the first time that the gospel is going kind of to pure pagans, where Cornelius was a God-fearer. He already knew a lot about God and about teachings from the Old Testament. And it's kind of like, well, he he was ready and he just needed this little push over the edge, which ultimately, theologically, none of us are there. We're all lost in our sins and we need the Spirit to open our eyes. But we can go like, well, that one kind of made sense. It's like, sure, he was a Gentile, but it made sense. Here, Antioch is much further up north. Where Antioch was is now, today, is part of Turkey. So that's, it's not too far into Turkey, but it is part of the nation of Turkey today. So it's far north. It's way above Jerusalem. All the, all the other events that we've been talking about, Antioch is like far from there. And that's hard for us to get because we're like, oh, the Antioch church, and we know about that. Oh yeah, Christians, that's where they were first called Christians. I know that one. And we can tend to think it's like right down the road. Um, But it's not right down the road. It's a ways away in a different land where it's a pagan place. There's not as many Jews there. But they go. And those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So that's what he's reaching all the way back to, is Acts 8. He says, they traveled this far. Cyprus is an island out in the Mediterranean. So they got pretty far. But they went just telling the good news to Jews. Saying, Jesus is the Messiah that you have been waiting for. But some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, when they got to Antioch, They spoke, we read here, to the Hellenists also. That's to Greeks, to people who are not Jews. They're like, this gospel is for everyone. And there's a way in which then this story is building. We don't know where it fits exactly chronologically. We know it has to be well after Saul's conversion. 
Um, It's probably not the very next thing that happens after Peter goes to Caesarea, but it's telling us the story, right? Peter went there, preached, and then there was controversy because the Jews were like, you went and ate with Gentiles. You acted like they're the same as us. And he's like, well, actually, we kind of are now in Jesus. Like, ah, you need to show us, right? And he had to tell them it was by the Holy Spirit. And it's like, and this is what was prophesied. And the Holy Spirit fell on them just like he did on us at the beginning. And they're finally in verse 18, like, okay, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. And that's where our story starts. Here's the gospel now going to the Gentiles in a Gentile city. And this is the beginning of the church in Antioch. I love verse 21. This is so encouraging as we think about preaching the Lord Jesus. They went around preaching the Lord Jesus to everyone, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this is the beginning of that church in Antioch. Many believe and turn to the Lord because the hand of the Lord was with those who were preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 22, you have kind of like with the last story, the report comes to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church, the original church where the apostles are, they hear about this, and it's like, what is going on in Antioch? And so they send out Barnabas to find out what's going on. Now we've seen Barnabas before. We've already been introduced to this character at a couple of key points earlier in the movie. The, the book, but it's a, you know what I mean. At the end of Acts 4, he exemplifies the generosity of the church when he buys a field and gives the proceeds to the church. He brings it, lays it at the apostles' feet. We'll also learn there, we also learn there that his name means son of encouragement, that Barnabas is someone who is an encouragement to others in Christ, and we'll see that here in the text today as well. Then in Acts 9, when Saul, having been converted, attempts to join the disciples in Jerusalem, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm a, he wouldn't have said Christian now, so I'm a Christian now, it's like they didn't have that word yet, um, I'm a follower of the way now too. I believe in Jesus. And the apostles are like, "Mm, I'm not sure. How did he get brought in? It was Barnabas. Barnabas comes with him and says, the Lord met him in the way. And now he's been speaking to others about how Jesus was the Christ. And this is a man who's already been pursued and persecuted for his faith. And you can welcome him in to the church. That's Barnabas. That's what leads to Saul's acceptance by the church. So when Barnabas shows up on the screen again and we recognize him, we're like, yes, they sent the right guy for the job because we already know something about who he is and what he is like. And indeed, they picked the right guy for the job. And it does remind us of Acts 8 when the gospel, when Philip took the gospel to Samaria and it's like, well, Peter and John better go down, make sure this is legit, pray for them so the Holy Spirit comes on them. So this time it's Barnabas who is sent as a representative of the Jerusalem church. And we see in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad 
And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So he saw the grace of God at work. He's gladdened by this. He encourages them. Keep holding on to Jesus. Stick with him with all your heart. Son of encouragement indeed. And through his faith-filled, spirit-filled ministry, lots of people come to know the Lord. And Barnabas shows some more about his character in the next verse. It's going well. Lots of people became followers of Jesus before he got there. Lots more becoming followers of Jesus. And what does he do? He says, we need some help. I'm going to go get Saul. I've got to get Saul here. Rather than, look at this amazing ministry through me. How can I be the center just a little bit more? It's like, let's go and find Saul. They need his teaching here. They need the gifts that he has here. So he'd introduced him first to the church in Jerusalem as a brother, and now he introduces Saul to the church in Antioch as a teacher. Then verse 26, it says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And there's that reference that doesn't catch right away. As we mentioned, the word Christian only shows up three times in the entire Bible. It wouldn't catch on until the second century. They preferred other words early on like disciple, brothers and sisters, followers of the way. But later on, that name would catch. And Christ people, those who belong to Christ, would become the main name used for those who follow Jesus. Again, we don't know if they said this to like kind of put them down other those people. But at least we know they were putting them in a different category. It means that they recognize that something is different about these people. Something is different about this movement. It's the beginning of recognition of Christianity as something as distinct from Judaism. So they called them Christians, Christians, Christ people. Then in the last four verses, we see that some prophets came down from Antioch and one of them named Agabus predicted a famine. And there's kind of a little note there that tells us this did happen later on in the days of Claudius, the Roman emperor who ruled from 41 to 54. And then we see the church responding to that, knowing there would be need in Jerusalem by sending a gift of support to them and having it delivered to the elders in Jerusalem. And so they, they were generous, ready to give, even to the church from whom believers had come out and preached the gospel and started them. Then they were sending money back to the church in Jerusalem. And it's not just generosity that we see here, it's partnership. The Antioch church is helping to support the Jerusalem church. They are together on mission. When one part of the body suffers, they all suffer. And they even use formal structures here that we see for the first time. This is the, not only the first mention of the word Christians, it's also the first mention of elders in speaking of a New Testament office. In verse 30, they took the gift, 
the church sent it to the elders of the church in Jerusalem by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. We'll talk more about elders as we move through Acts and see them in some other places, but for now they're leaders that God has appointed in the church to teach and protect and guide the church. And so it's delivered to the elders as the representatives of the church to be distributed equitably to the church as needs arise. And so these people are Christians. That's what they're called. What is it that happens that makes them called Christians? Well, Christians believe the good news about the Lord Jesus and turn to the Lord. That's what we saw at the beginning. As those who'd been persecuted, scattered all over, what did they do? They kept preaching Jesus. And as they preached Jesus, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So being a Christian is not about just deciding I'm going to live a different life. It's not I come here on Sunday and everybody seems pretty good and seems like they have it together and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best too. I'm going, to, I'm going to be like them. Christians fundamentally believe the good news about the Lord Jesus and turn to the Lord. And that happens as the hand of the Lord is with those who are preaching the good news about Jesus. These believers, these Christians, are sticking with Jesus through the encouragement of good, faithful, spirit-filled teachers in their lives. They are attentive to the teaching of the Lord. And as his word is taught and responded to, people say, we've got to come up with a name for them. They're the Christ people. And then they're ready to be generous to those in need, especially other believers. That's what we see in this first church in Antioch. So what is our part? When we're saying, by God's grace, we want to be Christ people. What is our part? As we say, yes, I want to be a Christian. Not just where I check the box, but living up to the name. First, believe the good news and turn to the Lord. You may come here every week. This may be your first time here. Have you believed the good news and turned to the Lord? For everyone who is in Christ, there is a beginning because there was a time when we were outside of Christ, when we were strangers to his promises, when we were living our own way, living the way that we thought would work, and very often find doesn't. But saying, I'm in control of my own life. I can do what I want. No one will be my master. Have you believed the good news about Jesus and turned to the Lord? This is not good news about how you can be a better you and how you can be healthy all your days. It's not good advice on how to turn things around in your life. It's not that Yeah, come to church, that's where all the good people get together to just be encouraged to try a little harder next week at being good. That is not what happens here. It's the good news that Jesus is the Lord. That though God deserved everything that we could give him, even as we sang, worthy of all our breath, all our praise, all our lives, none of us has lived up to that. Not even one. 
Every one of us has gone our own way and deserves the wrath of God. And we're outside of Christ. But then God in his great love for us at just the right time sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life that we were supposed to live and that none of us have. And then having lived that perfect life, he died a bloody death on the cross in our place. And the Bible teaches that on the cross, he took all our sins on him. He took our sins in his own body on the tree so that we could be brought back to God. He gives us his righteousness, that righteous life he gives to us. That's what counts for us. And all that we have done is counted on him. And he took the punishment for every bit of it, for all God's wrath. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that he is the Lord of all, even over sin and death. And 40 days later, he ascended to his father's side. And one day, he will come back for us. Do you believe that that good news applies to you? That that is for you? That though you deserve, just like I deserve, God's wrath, through turning from your sins, that's repentance, turning around, and trusting in Jesus, not trusting in yourself, in your own way, in the things that you can do. Hi, Leonisis. How are you today, bud? I'm so glad you're here. And that he welcomes us. Yep. He welcomes us on the basis of his son. Not us, not what we have done, but what he has done for us. Have you embraced that good news? If you haven't yet, you can turn from your sins and trust in him today, and he will give you life that lasts forever. So believe the good news and turn to the Lord. But second, as we think about, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do Christians do because of what Jesus has done for them. Don't wait for someone else to share the gospel. Don't wait for someone else to share the gospel. And there's a way in which this is an idea kind of repeated from chapter 8. But we see at the beginning of our text that those who were scattered by the persecution that arose over Stephen went all over the place. This church in Antioch was not started by the apostles. The church where they first said, we got to come up with a name for these people because they're so different from everything we've seen. These Christians, these Christ people, this church was started by regular people who belong to Jesus. And who were escaping persecution because... Another guy who wasn't an apostle had preached the good news about Jesus and been killed for it. If I were them, I probably would have been quiet for a bit. It's like, let's lie low for a while. 
We'll just kind of survive and maybe keep doing some things quietly. But they went everywhere preaching the word. This first step of the hand of the Lord being with them. We think about that them. That's not apostles. That's believers. That's, again, regular people where you think like, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. I can't do this. We need someone who has a degree in theology. None of these people had degrees in theology. Degrees in theology are not bad. But you can be ready to share the good news because you know what it means to be in Christ. I think even about the testimony that we heard earlier today. Right? Someone who feels weak, feels like, I don't even know if if I really even fit in here. The Spirit is at work in, confirming, assuring. If we know If it brings a tear to your eye that God has lifted the veil and you belong to Christ both now and forever, you have a story to tell. And you can share the good news about Jesus. We must be sharing the gospel with unbelievers and, even as was testified earlier, with one another. Like Barnabas who came and saw the work of God and was glad. We're called to encourage one another to keep holding on to faith in Jesus. And this is something actually that we're all commanded to do. So we can't just look at, well, Barnabas, he was that special guy, son of encouragement, right? We have other places like Hebrews 3 where we're told to exhort one another every day while it's called a day so that none of you is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a letter that's not written to pastors or a group of pastors. It's written to a church. It's written to people who follow Jesus. It's written to you, to me. Are we heeding the encouragement to stick to the Lord with all our heart? And are we being part of that encouragement to others? In your conversations with other believers, are you encouraging one another? Let's hold on to Jesus. Let's stick with him. He is worth it. Don't wait for someone else to share the gospel. Next, look for ways that God is at work. Again, this is something that's particularly pronounced in Barnabas's life. That is something we can all learn from. He's sent down like, check out what's going on down there. And he goes and sees God is at work, and he is glad. He rejoices. Are we glad when God is at work? Even if we weren't part of it, right? It's not like, I did all this stuff, and it's so good. It's like, nope, other people did it. It wasn't authorized. It wasn't supervised, but God was at work, and he is glad. Are we glad when God is at work? Even if we weren't part of it, and even if it's not exactly what we expected. And if we were like that, boy, wouldn't it make us look different than a lot of Christians? By grace, let's let that be our story. Are we eager to join where God is already at work? 
And are we eager to bring other people into the work? Barnabas isn't like, oh, here's the place where I can be the man. It's like, let's get someone else here. Let's work on this together. This will bring more fruit than if it's just me doing my thing. Are we eager to join where God is at work and to bring others into it? But then the people, what did they do? Next, we listen to God's word as it is taught. Are we attentive to the teaching of God's word? Is that what we're giving ourselves to know? There's so much information out there. There's so many avenues we can pursue. Are we pursuing the knowledge of the Lord through his word? Are we knowing him? Are we listening to God's word as it's taught? Then last, be generous in mission partnership. And I'm so grateful for how God has allowed us as a church to do that, particularly with Frankfurt, but also in the planting of Mercygate Church eight years ago. Are we ready to extend ourselves generously for those who are in need, especially those who belong to Christ? And I'm so grateful that that gets to be part of our story. <laughs> oh. That we get to be generous and we get to share what God has given us. And I love the eagerness of your heart, even as we talk about Frankfurt and needs there. And it's like, what can we do? Can we give more? How can we do this? How can we support? And even a text I got from some people, what time is it on that Saturday? And is that actually the date? And how long? And where, what's the address? I want to get there. It's like, yes. <laughs> Send me all the text messages like that. We're so glad to hear from those who are like, I want to participate. I want to serve. I want to help. I want to be generous in the mission partnerships that God has given us. By God's grace, may we be true Christ people. May our story be Christ first, only, and always. And we know as Christ people, that it can never happen by our own power or goodness. It's not that we figured it out and here's all the things we need to do and everybody just do it and everything will be fine. No, we continue to struggle. We continue to stumble and fall, but we keep coming back to him and we keep experiencing his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And we remember it is Christ in us and us in him. It's the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, empowering. It's the triune God providing everything we need to be brought back into fellowship with him. May people say of us, you're a different kind of Christian. Different from what they expect. Different from them. Different from who we used to be. All because of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, would you be at work in us would you make us the people that you want us to be together in Christ, on mission, partnered with others, holding on to Christ alone? And would we find at the end that you have held on to us and that you have carried us all the way, not because of us, but because of Christ in us. So Holy Spirit, would you work in us today, tomorrow, 
and every day until we see Jesus face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.